Okay, so January 6, 2021. Does that date ring a bell? <laughs> yes, it does. That is the date of what's become known as the insurrection on the Capitol. Right. Okay, so there were claims that the presidential election had been illegal, and while Congress was in session to confirm the results, a group of protesters actually made their way inside the building. So some people have called this a coup, some people have called it a siege, but the result was more than 130 people being injured. Most of those people were police. Holy smokes, I I didn't know that. Yeah, so like this was a big deal for a lot of people. And it was also really confusing for us as a nation because during the protests, you saw images of American flags next to the Christian flag. And you saw signs of crosses next to pro-Trump signs, Christian symbols intertwined with political symbols. Oh, yeah. So I remember hearing about there being folks that were publicly praying during that protest, like thanking Jesus while they were there. Yeah, and a lot of this has caused a sort of turning point in the media. You know, since January 6th, there's this phrase that's now, like, showing up in headlines, all over news and print, and the term is... Christian nationalism. I want to talk to you about Christian nationalism. Now, you may never have heard of that phrase. Christian nationalism. You know, you do a Google search, and you're going to find dozens of articles from just this past year. Uh, okay, hold on. Okay, yep, here's an article from the Washington Post. How the Capitol attacks helped spread Christian nationalism. And uh, here's another one from USA Today. Christian nationalism is a threat, and not just from Capitol attackers invoking Jesus. And uh, here we go, Time Magazine. The growing threat of Christian nationalism in the U.S. Yeah, it's a term that's all over the place right now. And those articles illustrate the questions that we're asking, questions about looming threats and violence and religious zealotry. But I think that for those of us that follow Jesus, we have another looming question that we're asking, and that's, what does our faith have to do with our nation? As Christians who live in the United States of America, are we called to live for both God and country? You're listening to the Love Thy Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Every episode, we hear stories of Christians trying to follow Jesus in our modern times. Today's episode is where the gospel meets nationalism. And when we say nationalism, what we're talking about today specifically is Christian nationalism here in the United States. We're going to hear from people on both sides as we look at what is Christian nationalism, who's a part of it, and what is God's vision for a country. Welcome to our corner of the urban universe. Okay, so back in March of last year, evangelical speaker Beth Moore announced that she was leaving the Southern Baptist Convention. Well, yeah, I remember. And that was a big deal because, you know, Beth Moore has identified as a Southern Baptist for more than 30 years. Yeah, it was like a huge deal. And do you know what was the cause of her leaving the convention? Uh, sexism, I think, played a big part in that, you know, not being treated fairly as a woman. Yeah. And then also, I think, racism and her perceived complacency with the convention's, you know, actions of reconciliation or, or lack thereof. Yeah, yeah. All true. Both of those things actually did play a role. But according to an article from NBC, she said it was ultimately Christian nationalism that severed her ties. Really? Yeah. OK, so here's a tweet from December 2020. This is Beth Moore writing. I do not believe these are days for mincing words. I'm 63 and a half years old, and I have never seen anything in these United States of America I found more astonishingly seductive and dangerous to the saints of God than Trumpism. This Christian nationalism is not of God. Move back from it. Well, that was not subtle at all. Right? <laughs> okay, so she's equating nationalism with Donald Trump. And that's also kind of what we saw happen on January 6th. So my question is, is Christian nationalism synonymous with Donald Trump? Well, no. The reason that we find so much connection is because many of the current displays we see, they are related to Trump's presidency. But I do think that before we dive into Christian nationalism specifically, I think it might help to first just talk about religious nationalism in general. 
Okay, wait, what do you mean by religious nationalism? Well, religious nationalism, you know, it's a fusing of religious identity and citizenship identity. And that is a phenomenon that existed way before Trump. And it's not even just confined to the United States. You know, scholars have written about religious nationalism happening in India, in Turkey, the Philippines. And in fact, we actually see religious nationalism happening in the Gospels. In Matthew chapter 3, John the Baptist begins to set up his public ministry, and it becomes really popular. We're told that people from all over the entire region, we're talking about Jerusalem, Judea, and the Jordan, were going out to him and they were baptized by him. So it seems like John is no respecter of persons. Everybody is welcome until the religious leaders show up. Verse 7 says, But when he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers. I feel like this is the beginnings of an ancient Israel equivalent of a Twitter rant. Right? Publicly calling their leaders snakes is like probably not great for his PR. But then he says something that's even more controversial. And do not presume to say to yourselves, we have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Here's what's going on. Okay, so John was angry because these religious leaders had completely interwoven their identity before God with their national identity. Historians give us a famous saying among the people at the time, Abraham sits near the gates of hell and suffers no Israelite to go down into it. In other words, you're all good. You're not going to go to hell. Abraham's got you covered. Oh, I see. Okay, so the argument of these leaders was, since we're from the line of Abraham, we don't really need your baptism, John, or your your gospel. And maybe they didn't say that outright, but I John's a pretty perceptive guy, and I think he's connecting the dots. Yeah, and we would call this an example of religious nationalism. These religious leaders down at the Jordan River fuse their nationality and their spirituality to the point that for them, there's just no distinction. But, you know, Israel was called as a nation chosen by God. Like, their nationality absolutely was part of their religion, right? Well, that's true. You know, God did set up laws and plans with the nation of Israel, but it was never to the exclusion of others. You know, God repeatedly allows the foreigners and the immigrants among them to take part. There are countless verses in the Old Testament that talk about Gentiles being part of God's kingdom. And yet we also see repeatedly Israel overemphasizing their national identity with their hatred for Samaritans, with their over-identification with Abraham, and with their inability to accept the gospel that God was now bringing them through John and eventually through Jesus. Oh, I see. So what you're saying is it's the classic mistake of the religious leaders completely missing the point. Yeah, exactly. Well, so then here's my next question then, because obviously this was pre-Christianity. So if what we're talking about today is Christian nationalism, specifically here in the United States, then what does that look like? Well, let me give you an example from a guy named Michael Mills. I grew up uh, in Texas, um, out in West Texas, um, a small, small farming community that um, you wouldn't have heard of uh, unless you're from that area. So this is Michael. He's a Texan by birth, and he's also a Baptist. And let me just say that this does not mean that everybody in Texas or everyone who's a Baptist holds to Christian nationalism. But in Michael's case, he clearly remembers this being a pervading idea for him. There was um, a household down the street from us, uh, and they were actually kind of a distant family member, but somebody that we knew, somebody that I knew to be good Christians. It was um, um, politicking season, and we drove by their house, and out in front of their house they had a blue sign, not a red sign. And that just blew my mind. Um, because I didn't know how somebody could be or claim to be a Christian and put a blue sign in your yard. And I didn't know how to make sense of that. And so the way I made sense of it at that point in time was, oh, well, they're not a good Christian. Or maybe even they're not a Christian at all. I don't know. See, for Michael, to be a Christian was to be an American conservative Republican. That was just an understood part of the faith. But my understanding that I received was um, that pretty well everybody's a Christian and pretty well everybody uh, is a Republican and that those two things go hand in hand. 
Okay, so I see this this fusion happening of his religious identity and his civic identity. Yeah. In the world that he grew up in, those two things were synonymous. Gotcha. So fast forward, Michael graduates high school and he decides to go to seminary to go to what was at the time the largest seminary in the U.S., Fuller Seminary near Los Angeles. Okay, wait. Hang on. So small town Texas boy is going to go to California. Yeah, it sounds like the setup for like a good joke. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah, this has to be interesting. I don't know if interesting is the right word. Uh, Jarring might be a better description. I immediately stepped into a situation where I was in a classroom of fellow Christians from a whole host of different denominational backgrounds and even from places all over the world. He found himself sitting in class next to Lutherans, next to Presbyterians, Roman Catholics, uh, Christians who claim no denomination. These folks did not look like him. They didn't talk like him. Some of them did not hold to the same political views as he did. And yet we were sitting in the same classroom, having the same conversation and learning about the same things. We were learning about the same God. And that, like, that was something I really had to come to terms with. And it was very disorienting at first. So because for Michael, he had this like very prescriptive way of understanding what it means to be a Christian. You know, it looks this way politically. It looks this way ethnically. It looks this way culturally. He has this whole worldview. And now all of a sudden he's sitting in this classroom with all of this diversity. He basically has two options. Either all these people in his seminary class are not actually Christians because they aren't white conservative Republicans, or he's been wrong about what it means to be a Christian. And that ends up causing a whole crisis of faith for him. And I just felt like my my legs had been swept out from underneath me. And I remember um, walking to lunch with um, my girlfriend at the time. Uh, and I remember just being so disoriented. And I remember telling her, so I know I'm here studying to be something of a a Christian minister. But after that class, I don't even know if I'm a Christian anymore. And if that means that you don't want to date me anymore, that's okay. And I understand. Uh, And and she's uh, very sweet, very gracious. And she kind of looked at me and and said, well, does that mean that we can't go have lunch? (laughs) That's funny. (laughs) Yeah. But it was just a very disorienting experience initially. Okay, so you're saying that basically Michael is displaying Christian nationalism because he holds to this very strict worldview of what it means to be a Christian in America. Yeah, right. Okay, well, here's my problem with that, though. So you look at this example from Michael, small town boy, God and country, whatever, and we're saying here's an example of Christian nationalism. Then you look at the riots and the protests from January 6th, and we're saying, here's also an example of Christian nationalism. And that, to me, feels like we're comparing apples and oranges. Like, there's a big gap between those two things. Sure, sure, sure. Yeah, it can seem unfair on the surface. But I think it's important to realize, like, Christian nationalism isn't like a light switch, meaning that it's either on or off. It's either present or it's not present at all. Instead, it's more like a sliding scale. So when we say Christian nationalism, what we mean is an ideology that idealizes and advocates a fusion of American civic life and belonging with a very particular kind of Christianity. So this is Dr. Samuel Perry. He's a sociologist and has been studying Christian nationalism here in the United States for seven years. And through his studies, he's found that this fusion of American identity and Christian identity can be summarized in six popular beliefs. Okay, so what are those six beliefs? Okay, so the federal government should, number one, declare the United States a Christian nation. Two, advocate Christian values. Three, not enforce strict separation of church and state. Four, allow the display of religious symbols in public spaces. Five, allow prayer in public schools. And six, that the United States is part of God's plan meaning it plays a special role in the advancement of Christianity. Okay, so he's saying that these are kind of six major ingredients that make up Christian nationalism. Exactly. Gotcha. What they have in mind is traditional values, is cultural conservatism, 
is ethnically, if not racially, white, uh, born in the United States. They believe that America, this ideology, says that America has been and should always be distinctively Christian in that sense. It is for, quote, people like us. Okay, but some of these things, you know, like displaying religious symbols or having prayer in public school, like everyone, okay, maybe not everyone, but a lot of Christians I know would agree with those things. So based on these, you know, core beliefs that he's talking about, is Dr. Perry saying that basically every Christian in America is a nationalist? Well, no. Okay, so in 2017, he did a study to see just how popular these beliefs were. And what he found was that there are varying degrees of Christian nationalism throughout our society. And he breaks these degrees down into four distinct categories. So maybe it'd be helpful if we took a look at those now. Imagine a line that has four segments, two to the left of center and two to the right of center. On the far left, the people who reject Christian nationalism completely, we call rejectors. So group number one, rejectors. They're on the far left end of the line. About 21% of the population scores in this category. These folks are not really going to agree with any of those six beliefs. They will at least somewhat disagree with all of them. Next to them, we have this group we call resistors. They're still below average in terms of how much they affirm Christian nationalist ideology. Group number two is resistors. Still to the left, but closer to the middle. About 26% of Americans land here on the scale. We're saying one in four Americans, this is where they are. So they'll disagree to most things, but maybe be unsure about or slightly agree with one or two items. So rejectors and resistors are the first two groups. Okay, so on the whole, they're not really agreeing with the Christian nationalist ideology, those six beliefs that Dr. Perry talked about. Right. They either flat out reject it or they're highly reluctant about a lot of the items on the list. Okay, so those are the first two groups and they're on the left side of the line. But then we cross over the midline to the other end of the spectrum. On the other side of the average, you have this large group that we call accommodators of Christian nationalism. Third group, accommodators. Now, accommodators of Christian nationalism are the plurality of Americans. They're about a third, about 33% of Americans. This is because, like, majority of Americans are still Christian or friendly to Christianity. Uh, and they, you know, are, are friendly to the idea of some influence of religion on politics, right? That religious symbols should be displayed in public spaces. Who cares? You know, or that uh, prayer in public schools. Yes, that's a good thing. Or that maybe God does have a special plan for the United States. And so they're, they're not willing to reject it. They're friendly toward it, but they're not true believers. They probably have some problems with the idea of declaring the United States a Christian nation or there being no separation between church and state. So these folks are friendly to some nationalist ideology and they're comfortable with it. And it's important to note that this is the largest group on the scale. We're talking one in three Americans. That means that out of all the categories, this one is the most common, which means that pro-Christian nationalism, to some extent, it permeates a lot of our society. The last group is on the far right. That's the group that we call ambassadors of Christian nationalism. Uh, these are the true believers, and they make up about 20% of the American population in our surveys. And that comes out to around 30 million adults. Fourth group, ambassadors. This is actually the smallest group, and they are fully supportive of Christianity being recognized and implemented by the government and may even fight to make that happen. Some of the protesters on January 6th likely fall into this category because they can tend to be more radicalized. But as Dr. Perry points out, this isn't a one-to-one -one equation. And so I always have to be careful to say ambassadors of Christian nationalism are more likely to hold certain views. I'm not saying ambassadors of Christian nationalism always think this and this and this, that that would be inaccurate because people are people and they're complicated. Okay, so when it comes to a scale of Christian nationalism, there are rejectors, resistors, accommodators, and ambassadors. Okay, now notice what is not part of this definition. We're not talking about having an American flag outside your house or supporting veterans. 
We're not even necessarily talking about being patriotic. What we're talking about is a mashup of Christianity and America and making the two synonymous, in particular when it comes to politics. Okay, so someone can hold to Christian nationalist ideology. And in fact, I guess, according to that survey, a lot of people hold to Christian nationalist ideology. But that doesn't necessarily mean they're going to be radical about it and go storm the Capitol. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so, yeah, this scale actually makes things really interesting. Yeah, like what's it making you think about? Well, for this episode, I ended up talking with two different people to find out how Christian nationalism is being played out in the everyday life of the church. And both of these people had a significant turning point in their life, and that turning point caused them to act on Christian nationalism. But according to this, they acted on completely opposite ends of the scale. I think America is special. I'll admit it. I'm romantic about this country. That was the straw that said we have to do something to push back against Christian nationalism. Coming up, a house arrest, a synagogue, and a church painted like the American flag. We'll be right back. Hi, listeners. It's Anna, media editor. Here at Love Thy Neighborhood, we partner directly with local nonprofits right here in Louisville. Over the past seven years, our interns have provided over 130,000 work hours, free of charge to local ministries. My name's Renelle Brumleave, and I am the executive director of Scarlet Hope Louisville. Scarlet Hope is a nonprofit that seeks to share the hope and love of Jesus with women in the adult entertainment industry. They provide counseling, employment opportunities, gospel-centered community, and they also go to strip clubs to bring home-cooked meals to the women working there. Renelle shared with me one of the ways she's seen interns grow through serving with Scarlet Hope. Just seeing them, either A, God just confirms for them that, yes, they are called to be a, a missionary in a nonprofit ministry, or they come and they realize, yeah, maybe I'm going to do that, but not in the area that I thought, as well as just seeing them mature in their faith, even just growing spiritually um, while they're serving with us. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30 through the areas of service, community, and discipleship. You grow in your faith and your life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. It's the Love That Neighborhood podcast. I'm Jesse Eubanks. And I'm Rachel Zabo. Today's episode is where the gospel meets nationalism. Okay, so we just looked at four categories on the scale of Christian nationalism. And now, Rachel, you've got some stories about that? Yeah, so I interviewed two people who both dedicate their work to some of the ideologies of Christian nationalism, but they would fall on opposite ends of this scale. And the first person I talked to is a pastor named Ken Peters. So Ken is a pastor in Tennessee, and he's always been a sort of, you know, God and country kind of guy. But two years ago, something happened that made him question what was going on around him. You know, I think the tipping point for me, a friend of mine said, hey, can you come help me support this pastor? He's going to jail for having church. And I just couldn't believe it. Okay, so the pastor Ken went to go see was a guy named Tony Spell. And long story short, Tony had been placed on house arrest for his church not complying with COVID large gathering restrictions. And this ankle bracelet would buzz on him every 15 minutes just to let him know that he was on house arrest. And, and to see him in tears say, you know what breaks my heart the most is that I'm missing my bus route. You know, he, he would bus in underprivileged kids and he was in tears in his living room because for the first time in his pastoral ministry he missed his bus route now we're not going to get into covid and restrictions and vaccines and any of that that's not the point of this episode or this story the point is is that ken suddenly felt like he had a wake-up call and i'm sitting in his living room and i'm going this is not the country that I grew up in, we are in trouble. 
I think that was the moment where I'm like, okay, we're going to fight. I'm not going to sit around and pretend like nothing's wrong. I'm going to be the good Samaritan to this nation. And the way he decided to do that was through a new kind of church. So in 2020, Ken founded what is called Patriot Church. So this is the description that they give on their Facebook page. Quote, a new church plant for Christians who love Jesus and love the United States of America. We take a strong stand on current issues like the abolition of abortion, freedom from tyranny, and government overreaching, and a love for the U.S. traditional values. End quote. Oh yeah, and the roof of the barn building where they meet is painted like a 60-foot American flag. What? <laughs> now, I will say we did not paint that. It was already here when we began to uh, rent the building, but we did not paint that there. But it was fitting. We were planting a church called Page Church, and there's this building available with a flag, and we're like, thank you, Jesus. Well, it's a, it's a sign from heaven. <laughs> So Patriot Church has six core values on their website. Those are the Word of God, the Witness of the Spirit, the Work of the Church, the Walk of Holiness, the Well-Being of the Family, and the Winning of Our Nation. Wait, wait, wait. Hold on. What is the Winning of Our Nation? Yeah, I had the same question, so I asked Ken to explain that one a little bit. The Winning of Our Nation means the winning of it for God. So if I was going to put a prepositional phrase onto that to define it better or to clarify, I would put for God. We, we don't want to, we don't want to just win. We're not, we're not trying to just beat the Russians or beat China or beat Mexico. We're, we, we want to win the nation for Jesus Christ. And one of the ways that they do that is by being openly unapologetic about their politics. I mean, that's one of the things that makes Patriot Church unique is we're going to speak freely how we feel concerning politics or politicians, not because we love politics, but because we believe in morals and we want to speak morality to the politicians, morality to the nation. So if there's a politician that we believe stands up for righteousness, at least to a certain level, we're going to get behind that person. But ultimately, Ken says that he does believe that it's the church that's going to make the most impact. I don't think Black Lives Matter can save us. I don't think Antifa is going to save us. I don't even think the MAGA movement ultimately can save us. I think the only thing that can save us is the gospel of Jesus Christ through the church of Jesus Christ. We have the answer. We have the truth. The truth goes marching on, but only if the church carries it. Okay, I'm tracking with him there. You know, all these social movements that we may believe in are not ultimately going to save us, okay? Yeah, but in my conversation with him, I did sometimes find it tricky to parse out church from country. The nation is a uh, beacon of liberty for people. It, it, we we support missions like like no other country. And so America falls, and I think this world... Uh, crumbles. I think that's the end. I think this nation holds up the bit of good that we still have here on planet Earth. Okay, like I was with Ken. I Ken just lost me. And I think a lot of the reason is because he's he's using evangelistic language for something that is not the gospel. He's like convoluting these two narratives, right? Like the calling of the church to represent the body of Christ to the world for us to take forward the good news of the gospel of Jesus to help set the captives free. Yeah. Uh, to uphold righteousness. To uphold righteousness. But he's he's taking all that language and he's saying, well, America basically does that. And that is not true. That's just not, that's not the function of a nation, a country. And I just think... Using religious language to describe a country is the easiest way for us to slide into a zealous nationalism that doesn't really actually understand the Bible anymore, because I don't think it's justified by the Bible. So in listening to Ken and all this that we're talking through, like, where does Ken land on the scale? What do you think? Yeah, so just based on on listening to him and some of the things that he's talking about and 
some of these, you know, Christian nationalist ideologies. I, I would venture to say that he is landing somewhere on the far end of accommodating or probably leaning over into the, the ambassador phase. Yeah, that seems about right. And I actually asked Ken outright, you know, would you call yourself a Christian nationalist? That is the accusation that I receive all the time. Now, listen, Christian nationalist is a derogatory term. So I understand why they label us Christian nationalists. It is is an attempt to discredit us, to call us bigots, to call us Nazis, to call us racist. It's brilliant. The left is brilliant with their verbiage and their terminology. They win the narrative battle repeatedly. So I understand why they're doing it, but they're doing it to label guys like me who 20 years ago was just a pastor, God and country, Christian schools, loved his family. Now I've been labeled a term that is tied in with Nazi Germany. Okay, and what Ken is referring to there is comparisons that have been made from folks like historian Robert Erickson between Christian support for Donald Trump and Christian support for Hitler. Yeah, you know, this was not part of Dr. Samperi's six core ideologies, but what Ken's talking about is another common factor. Again, here's Dr. Perry. Christian nationalism really is very specific about who the nation rightfully belongs to. And who are the outsiders? Well, in Christian nationalist thinking, the outsiders are the people who are not like us. They are the people who are secular. And I don't mean secular in like they just don't identify as Christians. I mean secular culturally, right? Like they they are liberals. They are socialists are often thought of as the anti-American, especially within Christian nationalist ideology, because they encompass atheism, anti-capitalism and liberalism and radicalism. Yeah, you know, it's like an us versus them mentality. Actually, in hearing Ken talk, it reminds me of the whole social justice debate. What do you mean? Well, you know, we've been dealing with this for years as Love Thy Neighborhood, where social justice, that term, it means one thing to one person. It means another thing to another person. And like everybody is working from different dictionaries. Oh, so you're saying just like with social justice, people take it to mean different things. And Ken's definition of Christian nationalism saying, well, it's about Nazis. That's different from just a straightforward kind of textbook answer or even Dr. Perry's definition. Right, right. And I think it's important that when we're talking about like big concepts like this, especially ones that have such heat and reaction behind them, is that we got to remember context plays a huge role in this. As a matter of fact, Dr. Perry made a surprising discovery while conducting his study. And that discovery, it is all about context. In this case, ethnic context. We often find that Black Americans score relatively high on our Christian nationalism scale. Really? Yeah. That's surprising. I know. I know. Okay. So when it comes to Christian nationalism, what's like the stereotypical person that you picture? Oh, yeah. Like white, highly conservative Republican. Michael Mills. That guy. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. Okay. Dr. Perry's research showed that African Americans scored just as high and sometimes even higher than white folks when it comes to holding these ideologies. And his answer for this is context. For white Americans, when they read our questions about a Christian nation or Christian values or God's special relationship with America, they tend to think nostalgically, right? They, they look back on some kind of time in the past where the right people and the right culture really had influence and cultural uh, dominance. And they, they want to go back to that. Black Americans don't see our, our language about Christian heritage or Christian nation and think, oh, that time years ago when, when people like us were in power, why would they, right? So they're more likely to interpret that kind of language aspirationally or in the, in the language of accountability, something America should have been and never has met, that value that America has never lived up to. Interesting. So depending on kind of where you're coming from, these ideologies can mean different things. Right. And that context that he's talking about of, you know, white Americans kind of looking back on this time, that seems to fall pretty in line with where Ken is coming from. I think America is special. I'll admit it. I'm romantic about this country. I don't think it's like every other country. I think it's, it's a miracle of God. This nation is a miracle of God. We were founded on the best constitution. We weren't perfect but our constitution is built such that we can course correct. And we have made some course corrections along the way. So I think this nation is beautiful. 
I'm not perfect, but I think it is beautiful, and I and I believe it is a beacon of of righteousness. A lot of what Kenneth's saying, I actually grew up hearing. I didn't realize that I was quite as immersed in Christian nationalism as I was until I got older. I mean, even in my own family, if I'm talking with older Christians in my family, they do have a nostalgia for America, a sense in which there was a time in which America was following God faithfully. Mm -hmm. And if we could just get back to that, then everything would be okay. I mean, think about Trump's campaign slogan. What was it? Make America great again. Again, it's looking backwards. Well, I think it also, it discredits the work that God is doing all around the world. You know, if we're just going to say, well, America is special and divinely blessed, then we have to ignore the incredible spread of Christianity happening in tons of other nations. I mean, you look at places like Africa and it's spreading like wildfire. It's growing in other sections of the world much faster than it's growing in America. We're actually declining. Right. And I think to to hold to some of these views is to downplay the bigness of God and the scope of God's mission. What Ken is sharing here, just flat out, it does not represent a biblical Christianity. It requires some serious theological gymnastics to hold up America as divinely beloved at the expense of the rest of the world. I don't think that you can find that in Scripture, and I think that that says a lot more about a culture that we cultivate in our own country than it actually does about what the Bible itself teaches. Okay, so remember I said I talked to two people, and that was the first conversation I had with Ken Peters. The second one was with a faithful church-going Baptist named Amanda Tyler. So Amanda is actually the executive director for the Baptist Joint Committee for Religious Liberty, or BJC as they're known. And BJC's focus is on fighting for religious freedom. It's really important for us that we do have an institutional separation of religion and government, that government does not impede uh, on our ability to follow our faith, and that we do the same for all of our neighbors as well. And here's the thing, is that while Christian nationalism may be popular in the media right now, it's not a new phenomenon. And it was on the radar of the folks at BJC years before January 6th took place. And in fact, it was something that happened all the way back in 2018 that became the turning point for Amanda. The accused gunman behind the Pittsburgh synagogue Rabbi massacre. Jonathan of Dor Hadash hit his Opened fire at the Tree of Life synagogue, killing There was the Tree of Life synagogue shooting in October of 2018. That was the deadliest attack on Jews in the United States ever where a white supremacist went into a synagogue and murdered people because they were Jewish. So this shooter was known online for being radically conservative and part of alt-right circles. And one of his social media pages said, quote, Jews are the children of Satan. The Lord Jesus Christ has come in the flesh, end quote. Whoa. And this was particularly alarming and horrific example of violent Christian nationalism. Okay, so thinking back to Dr. Perry's scale, like, so what if a third of Americans have some Christian nationalist tendencies? You know, I think the country's pretty great. I like the laws of our country. I think that we do great things. So what if a few bad ideas also get imported into my worldview? Mostly 90% of my worldview. It's good. I just like the country. And I have a few thoughts that are maybe a little more radical. Like, so what? But I think the whole thing is like, those little radical ideas can morph into some crazy thoughts that cause us to do horrible things. And I'm going to guess that like this kind of radicalization like does not happen suddenly. It's a slow and gradual process that comes from a certain worldview. Yeah. And I think we should be concerned about this. You know, just last month, the scientific journal Political Behavior published research related to Christian nationalism and violence. And what they found was that people who agree with certain nationalist ideology, like the government should declare the U.S. a Christian nation, were also more likely to agree that violence 
is sometimes an acceptable way to express disagreement. Really? Yeah. In fact, this study found that 17.7% of white weekly churchgoers fall into the top quarter of those who feel violence can be justified. Wow, that is incredible. That's nearly one in five. Yeah, I think it's a heartbreaking prospect, the idea that somebody could sit in our pews week after week, they could be in our Bible studies, they could be the person that we're texting with, that we do life with, that we study the Bible with, and that we could sit there with them and then realize like, oh, they love their worldview that elevates the country, that elevates whiteness, that elevates capitalism, whatever it is. It elevates it so much so that they justify tyranny against others and that somehow they think it's ordained by God. Yeah, so I think when it comes to Christian nationalism, you pose the question, you know, so what? Well, I think the answer to that is, you know, what's at stake here is not just oh, these are my freedoms, these are my rights in this country. What's at stake are people's lives and also a perversion of the gospel. You know, if we're not careful, we can think that we're spreading the gospel when really all we're doing is spreading the American dream. And so after that 2018 synagogue shooting, Amanda knew it was time to act. That was the straw that said we have to do something as Christians to push back against Christian nationalism. This is an urgent and deadly threat to our country. But the question was, how? How do you begin to tackle something so big whose ideologies, to some degree, pervade a third of our country? Stay with us. Here at LTN, we're all about helping people build better relationships. And we've actually created a brand new way to do that with our Say More conversation cards. Say More is a deck of 100 questions to kickstart engaging discussions. So there's silly things like, which famous cartoon character are you most like? And there's also serious things like, what has been your hardest goodbye in life? You can use our Say More cards with your family, your friends, on a date, at the office. My family and I have been using them at the dinner table, and I've learned things about my kids that I truly never knew before. To grab your own deck of Say More cards, go to lovethyneighborhood.org and click the store link at the top of the menu. And while you're there, grab a couple more decks. They make great gifts for Christmas or birthdays, and all proceeds go directly to support Love Thy Neighborhood. So... Go to lovethatneighborhood.org and click store and get ready to say more because better relationships are just a question away. Love That Neighborhood podcast, Jesse Eubanks. Rachel Zabo. Today, where the gospel meets nationalism. Okay, so Rachel, you've been telling me about Amanda Tyler and she's now looking for a way to combat Christian nationalism. That's right. Yes. And the way that Amanda and her team at Baptist Joint Committee decided that they were going to fight against the big topic of Christian nationalism was with a signed statement. (laughs) That's the most Baptist thing I've ever heard. I know, right? And so early in 2019, we started putting together this statement of principles where we call out Christian nationalism And, you know, you and I joke about it, but really, here's what's behind the idea, is that Amanda wanted a way to be able to quickly and concisely talk about this issue. You know, I think so much of this, it is about being self-reflective and self-critical. We are not about pointing fingers about other people. We're not saying, look at those Christian nationalists over there. We're saying we all deal with Christian nationalism in our society. Where can we start to recognize it and start to see ways that it's impacting our faith, how it threatens, you know, our concept of even what it means to be a Christian, what it means to Christianity. Okay, so uh, what was in the statement? What was it? Okay, so the statement is called Christians Against Christian Nationalism. And here's how it starts. As Christians, our faith teaches us everyone is created in God's image and commands us to love one another. As Americans, 
we value our system of government and the good that can be accomplished in our constitutional democracy. Christian nationalism seeks to merge Christian and American identities, distorting both the Christian faith and America's constitutional democracy. Okay, so I can understand. So she's essentially just trying to say, like, we need to keep those two things separate. Right. And Amanda sees this work as crucial in those two areas, in our spiritual identity and our earthly identity. So first, spiritual identity. Christian nationalism is antithetical to the very foundational premise that Jesus Christ is Lord. And as I think too often we as Christians can be divided about the things that we don't agree on. Here we wanted to say, you know, above all else, we agree that Jesus Christ alone is Lord. And we see Christian nationalism as an urgent threat to that confession. And of course, that threat being a reversal of importance between our spiritual identity as citizens of God's kingdom and our earthly identity as citizens of our country. And so Christian nationalism, you know, easily either flip-flops those or muddles them together to form a brand new identity. So that's the first area is our spiritual identity. The second is our earthly identity. Christian nationalism is antithetical to the foundational ideas of religious freedom for all. That's because Christian nationalism demands a privileged place for Christianity and asks the government to prop up Christianity in certain ways. And that goes against all of the constitutional protections that we have for religious freedom for all, including this idea that we are all equal citizens regardless of our religious faith. Okay, let me let me stop for a second. I have a question. Okay. Um, okay, so Ken is on one end of this scale, Dr. Perry's scale. Right. And Ken is essentially saying, like, all six of these points, depends on how you nu- nuance them, but he's going to affirm them. Yeah, he's going to say most of them are, are probably good. Okay. Then at the other end of the scale, you've got Amanda, and she's going to look at all six of these points, and she's going to go, they're bad. We should not, as Christians, be affirming any of these six points. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. I mean, she would probably like to see all of that eradicated. Yes. Okay, okay. So we've got Ken saying this scale is affirming good things. We've got Amanda saying this scale is revealing bad things. We need to fight against it. I will be honest. I am not where Ken is, but I am also not where Amanda is. Like, there are definitively things on that list of six items that almost regardless of how you interpret them, I'm probably opposed to. But there are also some things on that list of six items that, you know, depending on how you nuance them, I would support. And so I don't find myself at either end of the scale with either one of them exactly. Well, again, I think it it goes back to the whole the context and, and what's your definition of it? You know, if your definition of Christian nationalism is these violent displays, then, yeah, we're going to say that's all bad. But if your definition of Christian nationalism is... Well, I think the government should intervene in in some areas, maybe not all, but in some cases it's good. Well, it it gets a little gray there, you know. It kind of depends on your personal convictions on what's the role of the government and the church, you know. Yeah. Yeah. But I think to your point, I I I don't know that it's the right question. You know, I don't think the question is is this good or is this bad? I think more the question and I think what what Amanda is trying to put forth with this statement is less about here's the bad things but more about like let's recognize it let's name it let's find out where this is happening let's see it in our own lives it's more about kind of an awareness and a realizing than well this person's good this person's bad we say this applies to us all and that way christian nationalism is a lot like racism You know, it is pervasive in our society, just like it's not productive or even accurate to label some people as racist compared to others. We don't label some people as Christian nationalists compared to others. We say we're all impacted by Christian nationalism, just like we're all impacted by racism. Now, we're impacted and we buy into those ideologies and those structures in different degrees and in different ways. Okay, so they released the statement, and then how was it received? Okay, so to date, the Christians Against Christian Nationalism statement has over 24,000 signatures from people all over the country. But 
for Amanda, you know, there's not necessarily a certain number they're trying to reach to say, ah, yes, now we've conquered Christian nationalism. You know, she knows that it's a deeply embedded narrative in our country and in our lives, and she knows the work is only getting started, but that it needs to start somewhere. This is not a short project. When we launched in 2019, we didn't say this is going to be a five-year project or this is going to be a 10-year project. This is an indefinite project because Christian nationalism, having had centuries to seep down into the soil of our culture, it's going to take a long time for us to dig up those roots and to finally eradicate it. Okay, so the million-dollar question, what do we do with all this? And if there's any takeaway or application point, I would say that it's these two things. First, educate yourself. Things like listening to this podcast or checking out Amanda's statement or reading Dr. Perry's book. Don't let the media, and specifically social media, be your only source of information. Do your own discovering about Christian nationalism You know, one good resource actually might be our episode on politics, because, you know, we aren't saying that in order to, you know, avoid Christian nationalism, you need to not engage in the public square. Like we should be involved in our country for the sake of our neighbors. But we need to remember also that ultimately God doesn't need the government to accomplish his work. Yeah, I think that's great. We'll leave some links in the show notes if you need some places to start. So first, educate. Second, get exposure. For so many Christians in the United States, the version of Christianity that we know and are familiar with, it's just way too small. So remember Michael from all the way back at the beginning of the episode? Oh yeah. Texas boy, went to seminary, had a crisis of faith. Right. And part of that crisis of faith was due to a lack of exposure. He didn't know anybody beyond his small town where everybody looked like him and talked like him. And the exposure he got from being around all types of Christians in seminary, while it did initially cause a significant crisis of faith, it actually ended up leading him to a more robust understanding of his faith. Toward the end of Michael's time in seminary, he actually did end up resolving those questions of faith. And he made a firm decision. He knew that he was a Christian. But this newfound vibrancy in his faith, it actually also brought with it a different problem. And um, I was feeling lost in terms of my place in our kind of denominational world. I I knew that the way of being Baptist that I kind of received, um, it it no longer fit with me. Um, There was too much dissonance there. For him, Christianity no longer seemed to hold some of his nationalist beliefs. But for many of the folks that he knew, it still did. And the truth is that he just felt out of place. So he told all this to a buddy of his from seminary. And uh, I was venting to him one day about all of my disgruntledness with the, the way of being Baptist that I kind of received. And this friend directed him to some resources that ultimately led Michael to Amanda's work and the Christians Against Christian Nationalism statement. Really? When I first did that and read the statement, I, I don't love conflict. Uh, and so my mind immediately went to the implications of me signing this. And if if that is going to create conflict for me, I have to, you know, within myself, I have to get over that uh, aversion to conflict. Um, and thankfully, I was able to do that and to be able to say, yes, this is something that I want my name on uh, because it's something that I believe in. So of those 24,000 signatures you mentioned that had signed the statement, Michael is actually one of them. And when he looks back on his early years and his early Christianity that was steeped in some nationalist thought, he says he doesn't really feel guilt or shame. He actually feels something else. Probably the most overwhelming feeling that I have, and it, it certainly holds today, is just kind of um, a sense of lament that, that Christian nationalism is so pervasive in our country right now. And I lament what that means for our identity as American citizens and our identity as Christians, uh, because I think it's detrimental to both. Today, Michael is a pastor in Texas, and he does what he can to educate his congregation about Christian nationalism, because for him, religion fused with nationality, 
that no longer works. I think there is a way of being patriotic and being proud to be an American uh, because there's so much that's good and beautiful and, and wonderful about what it means to be an American citizen. And I think there's a lot there that we have to call out and to highlight and fight for. And at the same time, not confuse those things with the ideas of nationalism. Um, and that's hard to do. Yeah, you know, I think about the fact that our country has a unique constitution. It's unlike any other system in any other country. Yeah, and, you know, if you think about some of the freedoms that have been afforded to us in this country, like speech and religion, you know, not perfectly always, of course, and, and not always for everyone, you know, asterisk, 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 fine print. <laughs> but... The fact that those things are part of the building blocks embedded into our structure and the goals we're shooting for, like, those are things to celebrate. Yeah. As Christians, you know, we aren't called to give thanks when things are perfect. We're called to give thanks at all times. And there are things that we can find to be thankful for about the physical land that we live in. But the other side effect that we do is that it also causes us to minimize the sins and the evil that we as a nation do. And I think that Christian nationalism exaggerates America's goodness and downplays America's sin. And I think that the gospel brings America back into its proper place. We can celebrate and be thankful for the good gifts that America brings, but we can also be very realistic about how broken we are because all man-made systems are broken and America was made by men, not by God. So we can be grateful for the country that we live in, but we also know it can never save us. But I think it's it's worth it to dig deeper than that and to find that distinction between well, what is good about being an American? What is great about our country? How do we celebrate that and fight for that while saying this expression of nationalism that I see, it's not the same thing. It's something different. And that's, that's a lot of work, honestly. It's a lot of uh, intentional work to be able to distinguish and differentiate in what we're seeing in the world today. But I really, I really do think that it can be a beautiful thing to be proud to be an American. But we have to live that out in a, in a better way than we're doing right now. And Michael believes that a better way is possible. And as he continues to educate himself and expose himself to other worldviews, he doesn't see those who hold Christian nationalist beliefs as enemies. Instead, he sees them as people just like himself people who need education and exposure. Because I think there's a lot to be gained in terms of Christian identity from those that have just existed in kind of an understanding of Christian nationalism. Like, I feel like the, the heart is there. Uh, and I think the heart is still pure for the most part. But to be able to call it out, to teach, and to give people language for it, I think that's work that is worthwhile. And, and I do carry a sense of hope that where those conversations are happening, the tide will begin to turn on this issue. In the Gospel of Matthew, John the Baptist calls out religious nationalism in the heart of their leaders. But in the Gospel of John, Jesus himself addresses it. When he's at the temple in Jerusalem teaching about sin and freedom, those present retort back, Abraham is our father. And Jesus said to them, if you were Abraham's children, you would be doing the works Abraham did. Truly, truly, I say to you, before Abraham was, I am. So they picked up stones to throw at him. The people had so confused their spiritual and earthly identities that they were unable to see when the God of the universe was standing right in front of them. And that God has purchased us across national lines and across ethnic lines. Paul told the Galatians, there is neither Jew nor Greek, there is neither slave nor free, there is no male and female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. So yes, be grateful for your citizenship. God told his people when they were in the corrupt city of Babylon to work for the good and the peace of the city. So don't ignore the earthly location God has you in. But also remember, America is not the kingdom of God. You have brothers and sisters all over the world, and one day, God will bring us all together in a new earth and a new country. Isn't that so much more worth fighting for?
If you've benefited at all from this podcast, please help us out by leaving a review wherever it is that you listen to podcasts. Your review will help other people discover our show. Special thanks to our interviewees for this episode, Michael Mills, Dr. Samuel Perry, Ken Peters, and Amanda Tyler. Our senior producer and host is Jesse Eubanks. Our co-host and producer is Rachel Zabo, who this morning, amazingly, found two matching socks. Thank you, Jesus. It's a sign from heaven. <laughs> Anna Tran is our audio engineer. Music for today's episode comes from Lee Rosevere, Pottington Bear, and Blue Dot Sessions. Theme music and commercial music by Murphy DX. If you want a hands-on experience of missions in our modern times, come serve with Love Thy Neighborhood. We offer internships for young adults ages 18 to 30. Through the areas of service, community, and discipleship, you'll grow in your faith and life skills. Learn more at lovethyneighborhood.org. Which of these was a neighbor to the man in need? The one who showed mercy. Jesus tells us, go and do likewise. Likewise.